So Money, Episode 333, Rebecca Minkoff. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer made customizable templates to choose from the drag and drop editor and even video backgrounds. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Hey, welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest needs no introduction. If you're a female under the age of 30 and you like fashion, you probably own something from this designer. She is Rebecca Minkoff, global fashion powerhouse. And she's here today, her first podcast ever, in fact. And she is full of amazing, insightful, relevant advice for all listeners, not just maybe the women out there, but all aspiring entrepreneurs. Because guess what? She wasn't always Rebecca Minkoff, the the fashion mogul. She at one point had no money left and was going to go maybe be a waitress. And how did she get through that? How did she get through the recession, earning more than her competitors, 500% surge in sales? And what is she doing this fashion week coming up in February, New York, that people are saying is disrupting the fashion industry? Plus what she likes to do in her spare time when she gets a free 30 seconds. Here is Rebecca Minkoff. Rebecca Minkoff, welcome to So Money. Thank you for inviting me to your showroom. This is such a treat. I'm so glad to be here. It's my first podcast, so uh, I'm your virgin. Yes, I'm your virgin. <laughs> I'm a big fan, and I'm here with my assistant, Sophia, too. The two of us were like jumping up and down in our office when we discovered that you had said yes to this interview. So thank you so much for making our new year. Your story, I think, is going to resonate so well with our listeners, largely millennial, many women aspiring to someday be their own brand, start a business, or even if they're working at a corporate institution company, being an entrepreneur within that company. Your story, let's go back to how you started Rebecca Minkoff. Um, you are a millennial too, we should mention, which is great because you're really in the trenches. You know who your market is, but it wasn't always the Rebecca Minkoff global brand. No. And uh, you've been very public about this story, but many of our listeners don't know that in the beginning, you there was a point where you thought, I'm just going to have to leave it all and go be a waitress. I ran, You ran out of money. Mm-hmm. Take us back to that point. I think so many entrepreneurs experience that crossroads and some just have to go back to their normal routine and others thrive. What was that crossroads like for you? And your brother was ultimately a big part of taking you to the next level. 
Correct. So at that crossroads where, um, you know, I had a nice, a nice general starting point of a clothing business. I was doing about $250,000 a year on my own. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, it costs more to do that type of business than actual the orders are worth. Um, and for me to be able to manage that on my own and not having a very strong sense of business and finance and costing, um, it was very hard for me to juggle the cash flow, live, and make the collection each season. And when the bag, the one style of bag, the morning after bag, you could see that there was a heat around it. You could see that there was this cultural movement happening with uh, going away from these it bags that would look dated after a couple wearings and being thousands of dollars. And this was like a very affordable price point. So you could see this heat around the bag and I really was like, I can't keep up with the apparel and the excitement around the bag. So what, you know, what am I going to do? So, um, at the time I was styling to pay the bills, uh, that wasn't enough. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll style and make some good tips on the side. That become a waitress. Become a waitress. Say, you're like a Chinese restaurant or Italian restaurant. Well, that's my brother always <laughs> embellishing the story, which is really annoying for me that that's not actually the type of thing I was considering. Okay. But I thought like a bartender or a waitress where okay. you can make a lot of money very quickly was something that I was considering. Um, I, I had... Uh, gone to my father at first and said, Hey, can I borrow some money to make, you know, this happen? And he said, no. And that's when I called my brother actually. And what was his first instinct? His first instinct was, do you have an LLC? Do you have a tax ID? Are your accounts separate? Are you just living from one account? Um, so it was very much those very simple questions. I did not have an LLC. I didn't have a tax ID and I was living from one account. So he first went about like very slowly, almost like, um, you know, how to start a company for dummies step by step going through the, the basics that we needed. And then it was very much like, how much is your first order? Okay. How much does it cost to fund that first order? Okay. Here's a check for just that. Nothing else. Mm -hmm. So we lived like that very, very cautiously and very slowly. There was no, here's an infusion of capital and go, you know, you can eat more than ramen now. It was not about that at all. Where do you get your instincts? How do you know when you have the perfect bag for the season or the perfect, in this case, now, I mean, you, you are beyond bags, but back then, I mean, I was talking to Sophia. She is your demo. <laughs> She's 24. She was like, if you don't have a Rebecca Minkoff bag and you're 25 and you're in New York City, <laughs> you know, you haven't really emerged into adulthood. Oh, I like that. You know, That's good to know. You know <laughs> we'll give that to you. It's great. Um, <laughs> It wasn't serendipitous. I mean, there's a lot of work and thought and and analysis that goes into that. So how do you pull, what do you pull from to know what's going to be successful as far as fashion goes? I think today it's a lot different than how it was then. Then it was a feeling. It was uh, something I wanted, right? I was 25 and what did I want out of a handbag? Now there's a lot of, you know, looking at the hundred plus girls in our office and what do they want? What are, you know... What are your needs? You know what I mean? Like what's going on in her life and really creating almost this fictitious character of our girl, but real, right? Um, and really seeing, you know, what are her needs and desires and what are the things that are going to make that bag great or the price points that are going to make it great so that she can have more than one Rebecca Minkoff bag or, you know, she can buy a bag and a shoe and, and how does it fit together with her lifestyle? So there's a lot more thought that goes into it. And obviously we're a bigger company. So you have to, right. you can't just be like, Oh, I feel like this today. In the recession, many companies shuttered. You thrived. I read in the wall street journal that your sales went up over 500%. Yes. A tweak in pricing. A tweak in Maybe pricing was the magic. Mm -hmm. Um, why did you decide to do that? Some companies were very much going to stick to their, their format 
and hope that that would ride out the recession. Um, and what was the lesson from that? Did you go back to raising prices or did you keep it steady? So we had long, late, deep nights, uh, <laughs> deep thoughts, I guess. Um, the world was ending. Basically. The world was ending. And um, I think the impetus was one of our biggest accounts said, if you have a five, as in $595, which was the affordable price point in the bags, uh, in front of any of your bags, when we go to see you in market, we won't be carrying the line anymore. We can't, that customer is gone. Mm -hmm. Um, so we figured out how, how do we not take anything out of the bag? How do we, you know, apply the Ridley's model? So just make more and, you know, hopefully, you know, that'll add profitability later. Um, and we took a huge price hit, sometimes up to a hundred dollars per bag, for the end customer. And we thought, Oh, the minute we do this, she'll, it'll be amazing. And our business will like be on fire. And it took six months. Mm-hmm. So it was the scariest six months. I'll never forget. Cause we're like, wow, we just eroded our margin to do this. Um, and not take anything out of the bag, not compromise the material and the quality and nothing happened, you know, and crickets. it was crickets. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the consumer realized it. And then it was, that's when we experienced this great growth. I want to go back to your relationship with Yuri, your brother, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk to you about your personal finances. Um, this show loves to dive into our guest financial perspectives and experiences. But I think a, a really important part of your success is your partnership with your brother. He's mm-hmm. the CEO of the company. Working with family, mixing money and business with family usually doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. How do you make it work well with your brother? What I'm sure you don't agree on everything. So right. how do you work through your differences sometimes? I think that it's a lot of talking. Um, it's a lot of figuring out, how, you know, what each other's strengths are and we don't always agree. And, you know, we had a talk last year. He is the CEO, so he gets to make the final decision. And really? You, you can't say, I'm the, I'm the face of the, the name of the brand. <laughs> well, he is the, the CEO, right? The part of the heavy load is, is That's the financials and the business. And so if we're going to really have our roles, if he says, no, I don't want to do this, I can't go, you know what I mean? I can't, or I respectfully shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's about knowing your roles and, and letting the other person do their job. You are an entrepreneur, you're a mom, you're a wife. I want to dive into a little bit of that too and how it plays out, you know, (laughs) but as all of the, as wearing all of those hats, what's your financial philosophy? How do you balance money in with everything else that you're doing? Um, I think my, my money philosophy had to evolve because I'll never forget many years ago, there was a girl in my office and she said, I've been saving money. And I, you know, at any point, you know, if I were to not have a job, then I'd have a cushion. And I was like, wow, I don't have a cushion and I don't, I'm not making enough money to, to save. It's not like, you know, uh, my paycheck was, it still is humble, but was very humble then. Um, so I thought, you know what, I got to start saving. So it was all I could afford was 20 bucks a month, you know, but it was important that no matter what 20 bucks a month would go into that account. And as I would make more money, you know, taking, um, an uncomfortable sum and putting it away just that you have a cushion. So that's what I try and do now. And I try and not be wasteful. I, I do like to shop, but I try and be more careful now. So that's $20 <laughs> a month at some point accumulated to did. A, a nice chunk. What did you do anything with it? When was it the moment? When did you actually realize? I just like, did oh. something with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was able, uh, so I think I started saving that $20 a month, probably 10 years ago. So I was able to buy a house. Wow. So yeah. 
right. Okay. Compound interest, starting young. There you go. You're, when you were at the crossroads and needed more money, your parents said, nope, sorry, bank's closed. Um, so begs the question, what was your childhood like and your financial kind of foray, you know, as a kid? Like, what were some of the big money stories you have that shaped who you became? So that same no, the bank is closed was my entire life. Um, <laughs> and I think... While I look back on it and it was really hard, I always thought we were very poor. In essence, really? my parents were just really cheap, but they grew up in an environment, you know, their parents were uh, World War II, like every dollar mattered. So even though my dad was, you know, a doctor and had a great career, my mom was a nurse and had a great career, I never felt like we had money. And I always was forced to work for everything. So I hated that growing up. I wanted a sewing machine. Okay, how are you going to buy it? I wanted Barbie dolls. How are you going to buy it? I wanted to do a class. So that thread um, sucked, but it was so great because it made me a self-starter. It made me an entrepreneur. And as much as, you know, the brand is successful now, I'm going to force my kid to do the same thing. I was going to ask, has that encouraged you to be the same with your own kids? Yes. two children. My two children. I mean, my daughter's still too young to know what's happening, that I'm recycling my son's clothes with her. But (laughs) (laughs) um, I think it's for my... What your jeans are in? (laughs) (laughs) But I think for our son, it's like, he's like, I want this. I want that. I'm like, okay, what are you going to do to help around the house to, you know, get this drum set? Or what are you going to do to, like... Contribute, So it's all about giving back because it's not like he can make money. But he did say to me the other day, well, I go to school and that's my job and I'm making money by going to school. And your job, you know, you go to your job. So he has an interesting dynamic that the, it is his job to go He's to school right now. He's like, what do I do from 9 to 5? Right. I'm in school. He thinks that job. he earns money by going to school So because, you know, we said it's your job. So, um, And especially living in New York City, it cannot be easy. New York kids are young enough where they're not – they're shielded right now from – all of the excess that's out there and then eventually wanting things because their friends have them and going over friends' houses and being like, why can't we have an indoor pool? Right. <laughs> um, have you thought, have you and your husband discussed that as far as like what kind of values you want and how to protect your kids from, or not protect them, but just, you know, make them understand that we do things a certain way and there are people who live their lives other in other ways and it's New York and it's, um, it's easy to get jaded. But to a kid, how do you relay that? I think you have to relay the other mommies and daddies have different rules. I mean, my son is like, you know, I want an iPad. And I said, okay, well, you're not going to get one right now. Like you're going to borrow mine when you want to watch a show. So I think, again, I know what it was like to be on the recipient end and it wasn't fun. And I'm sure he's not going to enjoy it, but I think it'll make him a more well-rounded kid. That's not a snob. And, you know, we're looking at schools and, you know, if I send him to a private school, I automatically know he's going to be necessarily with a group of people that have things handed to them. But how do I get him to, you know, be the self-starter within that environment? Right. Don't even yet. Definitely not. Not yet, at least. Not yet. Let's take a quick break now to give some love to one of our sponsors today, Mile IQ, the number one mileage tracker app. More than a million Americans trust Mile IQ to automatically log their drives every day. It's the only mileage tracker app that detects, logs, and calculates your drives for you automatically. It's incredibly easy to use and keeps all of your drives securely stored in the cloud. The average Mile IQ user logs 547 bucks a month in drives. That's $6,000 a year in miles you could be claiming. The app has a five-star rating both in Google Play and iTunes app stores, so stop wasting time manually tracking your miles 
and stop losing money that you should be redeeming. My Like You does all the work, letting you focus on what's actually important, like your business and driving. You can download the My Like You app for free and start your free trial right away. Here's how you do it. Text so money, one word, to 31996. You're going to get a 40 dry free trial. Create an account this week, though, and you'll get 20% off an annual plan. Standard messaging and data rates apply, so keep that in mind. And just text so money to 31996 for a 40 dry free trial, and then the 20% discount applies if you create an account this week. Failure, Rebecca. We talk about failure a lot on the show, not to um, expose our, you know, our, our mistakes and, and um, exploit them, but really to understand how you worked through a failure and how that maybe was a, the catalyst for success later on down the road. So take us back to maybe a moment, and it may have been even before you started Rebecca Minkoff, a financial failure of sorts. And it doesn't have to be like bankruptcy, but for some people, it's just, I made a bad call. I hired the wrong financial advisor or I didn't save early enough, what would you say was your biggest failure? I think one of our biggest failures early on, uh, or my, I would say my early, early failure, because it was before my brother joined the company is, you know, when I started, yes, I had a lot of confidence in, in what I was doing, but I probably was overconfident because I thought, oh, I have to shoot a fancy lookbook. Oh, I have to go ahead and cut all the patterns for all the clothing and every size run. And I have to buy all the fabric for it before I even had any orders. So I spent my entire savings, which at the time was about $10,000 on all this stuff that then I sent out my lookbooks, my whatever, and I got one order. So I think at the time, the expectation of what's going to happen when I start this small company versus what actually happened, um, I could have not, I could have used that money to grow sure. instead of all at once. I think a lot of startups can relate to that. Even my little podcast, I got all this equipment, I got a, a mixer, I hired a sound engineer. I'm like, exactly. Okay, I don't have never used the mixer. You know, $300 wasted, but I think that's um, probably something a lot of people can relate to. And one of your other strategies in getting this business off and running, I think that was very timely too, was you learned first to really understand the power of bloggers and their influence and also the social media influence. If you were starting Rebecca Minkoff today, now everyone uses Twitter, now everyone's right. on Instagram, what would be your strategy for promotion? I think it would be the same, um, but it would include obviously video is where everything is turning to now. Um, I think there's a lot of noise that you have to cut through now that being so early on in it, you know, we don't have to do that hard work, but I would be a very much a direct to consumer video, highly social model. Hmm. How did you get the celebrities to carry your bag? Like, tell, I don't know. <laughs> oh, like, it's such great, you know, funny like, story. These days we know like, oh, she's wearing the bag in Us Weekly because they sent it to her and, you know, she made time for the photograph. But what was the process like back when you were doing it? So back when I started, it was it was six degrees of separation. Um, who knows this person that knows this person? Um, and so I had a couple friends that knew people that knew people. And it was a matter of like getting the bags in their hands. I'll never forget. I got Aggie Dean her first bag. Literally, we she pulled up on her bike. I met her in the middle of the street in the East Village. I handed her a garbage bag filled with handbags. She rode off. <laughs> or... or <laughs> Lindsay Lohan a long time ago before um before she turned into who she is now um it was literally she was walking through this gifting suite 
And a friend of mine literally like gave it to her as she walked out of the gifting suite because we couldn't afford to be in the gifting suite. So she was standing outside of it. Did she know that there was going to be this exchange or just like, she's like, here's here a great bag from Rebecca, Rebecca oh. Minkoff. And then the, the photos that surfaced was her coming out of the hotel. Like she switched the bag immediately and wore it out and that sold us a ton of bags or, um, did you pay her? No, we couldn't oh. afford it. We've actually never really paid a celebrity to carry so our bags. she really liked your stuff. She did, you know, and some of those people, like you look back now, ooh, Lindsay Lohan, but I think at the time, sure. you know, she really did that. Or Kristen Cavallari, you know, she, she was stopped being styled by a friend of mine who gave her a bag. So I think... Um, I really use that or I got an, an email from someone at CAA and I said, Hey, do you think, you know, I can, she just wanted to order a bag, but I saw her title. And then I said, Hey, could you help me out and get some bags to celebrities and I'll give you a free bag. Oh. So I think I would take opportunities as I sure. met people and really leaned on people who knew people. So many success points, no doubt, but what, what's your favorite moment in building this brand and now it's gone global? What would you say is in your mind, like you remember just a moment, a specific moment defined as a so money moment where you're just like, I've done this, I did this. And it's all thanks to hard work that, and I'm sure again, there's been many of these moments, but what's one that stands out? Oh man, that's tough. I think there's a time where I'm in the zip card, you know, with the trade show booth poles in the back, setting up my own booth for a trade show and getting my first large orders for our handbags or, um, I think I have a copy somewhere of our first large order check. Like I made a copy of the check because that was just a big deal that we would ever get an order that big and put something in the bank account that big. I read that in the beginning, I think when you, the orders were coming in and you were overwhelmed, you would like go to Home Depot and get a lot of the, uh, the dog hooks. The dog hooks. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Like who, no one thinks that like you're going to, you think you're going doing bulk order from China, but you're like literally going to all the Home Depots. <laughs> I probably should have area. known better and been smarter <laughs> and done some internet sleuthing. But yes, um, I didn't realize at the time because I wasn't in the arena of handbags that you could probably order from a catalog, some hooks for your bags. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they were at Home Depot. So that's where I would go. Would your advice be for a fledgling fashion designer to focus on one aspect of design and fashion? Like you did, you, you started broad and then you went to handbags and then now you've expanded. And that was your, you say that was really helpful to sort of hone in on the handbags. Would that be a formula for success for someone else? Like don't try to do it all, be the designer for everything. I think you should definitely find a white space, right? And then find something that you can really drill into the consumer because now she has choices and now she's not uh, brand loyal at all. So you have to find the thing that she's going to go, oh, I need the sweaters. I need the cashmere sweaters. Bye. Or she's really great at statement neckwear. Statement neckwear. Um, because I think that there's so many options today and especially with mobile you can buy anything from almost anyone. So find the white space and then really drill that in as like, you're the go-to for that. Your number one financial habit. You're on a very Sorry. busy ship here. Sorry. Those you're are, hearing a lot of girls walk by a hundred girls heels. Fashion week is next is weeks away. Right? Yes, it is. Which I want to ask you about something about that in a second, but your number one um, financial habit, if you have anything that you do regularly that helps you with your money management. I think the saving, I think I have an auto, I think anything that's an automatic withdraw, 
uh, that's in a remote place that's hard to get. So for my savings account, I made myself like always lose the the code so I could never actually reverse the transaction. So it pulls it out of my account and I, and now I, I, now I need to know what the code is. But for a long time, I was just like, I'm going to almost pretend that's not there and just let it suck money out every month. And I think um, that's been very helpful. Um, one question, because I love this area of of research is just how professional women particularly entrepreneurial women who are also parents we're also married what's one strategy or thing that you do that helps you forget balance because that doesn't exist right but feel very authentic in what you're doing and fulfilled and like there is good integration of everything is there something that you and your husband have agreed to that helps you to have order in your life because otherwise someone will just do it all on their own or is there um, a system that you have in place that helps make sure that you have some time to yourself What's something that you do that um, gives some bit of uh, peace, you know, in, in, a, in a world that you lead that could be very, very frenzied and busy all the time? I would say that that is almost non-existent. <laughs> um, one thing I like, I'll, my husband will stay up late after we put the kids to bed and watch TV. That's his outlet for just decompression. And mine is like, oh, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to go to bed. That's my guilty pleasure, I guess, is sleep. sleep. Yeah. Um, I can't, fun- you know, my brother functions on four hours of night and I cannot, I don't know how he does it. And he's like, he gets his best work done from the hours of midnight to 2am. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't sleep, you know, seven hours and I'm, I'm really not a good person to be around. So I think it, for me to sleep and then I managed to eke out two days a week, uh, I go to the gym and that's my like me time, I guess. We shouldn't feel guilty about sleeping, right? No, you brought your body needs you it. You need it, yeah. yeah. And some people are like, oh, I only get three hours of sleep, and I'm great. I'm like, try seven, and then you know, and right. then call me, see how that felt. Right. <laughs> um, fashion week's coming up, and I read that you're disrupting fashion week. Yes. What are you doing? The plan. <laughs> so we really feel that, uh, and I think consumer and even editor sentiment is, you know, it's broken. I think you're putting, you know, this whole time is geared towards putting so much effort and money uh, into showing something that by the time the customer now sees it, you know, they've seen it for six months. They're actually tired of it. They don't even want to buy it anymore because they saw it on Instagram and they saw it on Snapchat or... It's old news. It's image fatigue is what we're calling it. So I think we thought, you know what, how are we going to, how are we going to give someone something fresh and exciting and it's available? So for spring, we're going to be showing our spring show. Again, but it'll obviously be restyled, different hair, different makeup, everything that was bought by retailers and us um, down the runway. We're inviting about a third of the room will be consumers and um, everything will be shoppable, buyable within within that today, you know, that day or between 30 to 45 days from that moment. So uh, fall will be the first time in September where it'll be fresh to everybody. You won't have seen any of this stuff before. So you're still going to have an editor want to come to see it. You're still going to have your stores come. Um, so we found a way to not break the production calendar because it takes what it takes to make the garments, right? but allow the consumer to actually have immediate satisfaction. You're confident that you can show fall in fall and get everything to the retailers into the consumer's hands within the same time frame. Correct. Isn't that kind of why it was such, they kind of are so ahead of schedule when they do fashion week. Well, right. But we'll still have our editors and buyers come in in February and buy Uh, fall. 
I see. We then have that same amount of time to produce it. It's just not everywhere image wise, right? right, right? The people that need to see it will see it. It's been being talked about for three or four years and, you know, a lot of late nights and long conversations uh, (laughs) with a lot of people will help us come to this, this answer. But it's so on brand, Rebecca, I think, because I think you're very nice. You're very, really, I mean, from your publicist to uh, your executives to even your shoppers, you know, they're just like good, nice people. <laughs> and I, I, and you don't get that a lot in the fashion world. You do not. Um, you, you've been standing out as somebody who really appreciates your consumer, goes to the small towns to hear what and see what they want and spends time and de- is really dedicated. So I think this is just, uh, you know, an example of that. And we thank you for it. You're welcome. You. I have you to thank because you guys are supporting me. So really quick, some so many fill in the blanks. Yes. This is the part where I start a sentence and you finish it. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> First thing that comes to your mind, there are no wrong answers. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, right now, I think, what is it, like 650 million? I just bought some lottery <laughs> tickets. Yes. Me and my production, uh, my VP of production, you know, I, I, I gave her 10 bucks. I don't know what my listeners will think of me, but you know what? How many times is it like almost a billion dollars? Okay. So maybe we'll buy tickets. If I won the lottery tomorrow yes. or today, the first thing I would do is... I would hire someone to plan an around the world trip for me. And it wouldn't just be an around the world trip, um, in like business class the whole way. It'd be, you know, a friend of mine did it where she would go high and low. So she would experience like, you know, I, I don't want to just feel like I never touch and feel a place that I'm going. So mm-hmm. it would be backpacking. It'd be adventure. It'd be whatever. And then maybe you get a massage or it's gargling right, and, right. you know, <laughs> you gotta re, you gotta re-energize, re-energize you know? exactly. clean up a little bit before your next adventure. I yes, and it would be with my kids, and I definitely the one luxury I would have would I would like ship my luggage everywhere or something so that you're not just like and make sure have the there. kids on you with you know oh, all gosh. your luggage and That's you're the sweating. They're not in car. Are they still in car seats? There's that too. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. So I might have someone to handle that. Yeah. That'd be my indulgence. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that Powerball will get you there. <laughs> Thank um, you. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is. Oh, that's a tough one. The one thing I spend on, uh, bling lash. Bling lash. Tell me about this. So it's, you know, it's the eyelash extensions, which I don't have on now, but I definitely feel that when I do have them on, my morning routine is, is way easier because you just look more done. And you feel. And I feel better. Like I feel like I look way less tired. What's the process? Can you do it yourself or you have to go somewhere? Definitely cannot do it yourself. You oh. go somewhere, you lie down. Okay. They glue them on your eyelashes and it's just great. Bling lash. Got it. Your biggest splurge. You spend, you know, an embarrassing amount of money on, but you wouldn't have it any other way because it's, it's so great. Um, does my house count? Sure. Okay. I love it. There you go. Buying at real estate in New York city is a big splurge. It's not an expensive, but I love hearing that people consider their home, their abode, their escape, their, their like wanting, looking forward to going home. Right. For sure. It's just kind of the perfect place for you. I love it. Um, when I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is I wish I had, I was going to say start saving, but I, I think the period from when I spent all my savings, right. Which was in 2001 until I started saving and probably, um, 
2006 or seven. I think that five years, I definitely could have been smarter. I mean, I was making nothing. I think my salary for a long time was $23,000 a year yeah. in New York City. So there wasn't really much to save. Yeah. But I think, you know, even if it was $10, I should have saved it. Yeah. Well, I just read a study that millennials, this is good for you for your audience, um, your shopper, millennials are the fat are, are saving for retirement at the fastest pace than any other generation. Wow. Like the growth rate. Yeah. I think they're saving like seven and a half percent. These are the employed millennials, we should say that work for companies. They're saving like seven and a half percent of their income towards retirement, um, which is better than any generation previous to them. So that's uplifting because you always, you always hear like millennials, they're broke. They don't know anything about money, but I think they're, they're picking up a few things. More smarties. Yes. Um, when I donate, I like to give to blank because I have a couple of charities I like to work with. One is Finca because it encourages females in third world countries to become their own entrepreneurs. And I like that it's not a handout. I like that these girls are getting together. They're, they're not girls. These women are getting together and saying, we're good for this loan mm-hmm. and they pay it back. And the, the results of how they're able to transform their situations are incredible. Um, uh, baby to baby, baby buggy as a mom. I think I like those mommy charities. I guess that's great. Yeah. And last but not least, I'm Rebecca Minkoff and I'm so money, so money because I'm Rebecca Minkoff and I'm so money because (laughs) you're looking around the room. Oh, I'm so money because I'm nice. How about that? You are nice. <laughs> and fun. And fun. And that is so money because that's a differentiator in the marketplace. Definitely. Not so nice in fashion. Thank nice you so start. much, Rebecca. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks so much to Rebecca Minkoff. For more, check out RebeccaMinkoff.com. Rebecca is all over social media, Twitter, Instagram. Follow her, catch all the trends. And let us know what you thought of this episode. Go to SoMoneyPodcast.com and leave a comment. And while you're there, you can also ask a question. Click on Ask Farnoosh. That gets into my inbox. I read every question and I pick many, if not all, for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. So Money.